Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 222 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Patton Oswalt episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that Patton Oswalt actually has a comedy album called 222. No idea what it's about? Just thought it was kind of cool. And with that little bit of Patton Oswalt knowledge, I, of course, am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California, would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. I believe that comedy album is actually about this episode that we are about to record. It has prophesized our every move. (laughs) Prophesized. It's just just such a great word. Prophesized. Because you can add a little sass to it. You can't. You really can't. I mean, there's just no getting around it. You really and truly can. So how the hell are you, man? Oh, good. It's been a very interesting week on my end. On uh, Saturday, we (laughs) woke up and drove to Chinatown, which is in the downtown area of L.A., and waited in line for three and a half hours for chicken. Uh, We went to go see Logan on a Saturday night, 8 p.m. showing, uh, along with babies. There were a ton of babies there. Uh, which was very exciting. And then my significant other decided to cut herself on a can of beans. We had to rush her to the ER where she had to get like nine stitches. And it's been a very eventful, incredibly memorable weekend. Wow. Yeah, I got your text message on Sunday night. I'm very glad that she's okay. I am curious, though, in today's day and age... How do you not have a can opener that produces the seamless edge? Well, here in California, we're more analog. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, every time you buy a record player, it comes with a manual can opener. So, uh, you know, we're going back in time here in L.A., but yeah, so what she was doing, she was, this actually sounds very California. She, uh, she was organizing the recycling. She was taking the cans out and organizing the cans from the paper and the cardboard and all that stuff because we were going to do a big recycle dump on Saturday or on Sunday. And I guess as she was bending down to pick up a can, something happened and just gashed her right on the palm. And very meaty. That's all I got to say. Very meaty. Wow, that I mean, that's definitely rough. I know here in Texas, they still have the sorting facilities are still off site. So we don't have to sort our own yet. Um, As long as it's recyclable, we can throw it into our recycle bin. They pick it up every other Wednesday. So that's good. um, I'm hoping we won't have to worry about that part anytime soon because... Ugh, that just doesn't sound fun. But I am, I am, I am sincerely hoping that the SO is okay. She's tough. She'll get over it. She'll, she'll handle it. But uh, how was your week? Did you uh, cut yourself? Did you go and see Logan with a bunch of children, or did you wait three and a half hours <laughs> for delicious? No, oh, chicken? I'm so sorry. I am so sorry that we're uh, production problems in the background, guys. Uh, we're 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 really gonna sh- uh, strive for a shorter show. Uh, so much happened when I went to go see Get Out this week. I was so 
angry. Long story short, and it, and it had nothing to do with the movie. It was nothing to do with the movie. Uh, it was everything to do with the assholes watching the movie and bringing babies in, um, literal babies to an R-rated movie at 10 fucking 45 at night. Oh my God. Um, so did you, yes, did you sass at them? Oh my God. Oh, let's see. Yes. I, and not only because I was left to police the theater, um, I also got movie passes. So all's well that ends well. But, um, yeah, it was not a fun experience. Um, and wait, when you say you policed the movie theater, mm -hmm. like, were you, Oh yeah, Arresting I was literally. I, yeah, I, I I pulled out a mag light and tapped on the side of their chair and was just like, "Excuse me, do you know why I'm pulling you over this evening?" <laughs> uh, you, know, <clears throat> you know, put the phone down. You know, so that kind. Of, no, I'm just kidding. Um, well, no, I mean because there were people breaking the rules. There were they had nobody from the theater coming in to check or whatever, and it was like so. I literally had to get up. Um, minor spoiler alert for the movie for later on, but and and it's kind of important because. It caused me to literally miss it. I had to get out at the point, uh, <laughs> get out. Um, I had to leave the theater at the point where, um, I think his name's Chris, the, the, um, where the, the guy who they recognize later on jumps at him because he took, takes, takes that picture. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I missed that whole section. I missed that whole like two and a half minutes because I was getting help from theater personnel to take care of the people who were on their phone. Just they were literally filming the screen and taking selfies with it and shit while the movie was going. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. So I ended up missing that part. Thankfully, they at least make a reference back to it. So I kind of got caught back up more or less. But yeah, so stuff like that. Yeah, when I went to go see Logan with all the children, uh, I ended up get I ended up scoring free IMAX movie passes because I was the only one that complained Whoa. about those people. So it's kind of nice. Yeah, see, I, I got mean, passes. Yeah, I ended up getting passes too. I can use them for any. Uh, this happened at Cinemark, so I can use them for any Cinemark movie. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter where it is. Um, so that was kind of cool, but um, uh, but you know, my Logan watching experience, however, was just amazing. So yeah, I grabbed, uh, grabbed a couple of my buddies, um, grabbed my brother-in-law and yeah, we, we definitely had the mandate. It was, uh, it was awesome. <laughs> the mandate. Yeah. So anyways, what I mean, aside from, uh, you know, some mediocre theater experiences and, uh, you know, slicing of the cans, everything else went pretty well this week. Standard yeah. week. Yeah. Same old, same old. Right on, right on. Yeah, I was a little busy last week just trying to get caught up from the week before, but other than that, pretty normal on our end. So what do you say we jump into the old mail sack? Reach into that sack. Let's do it. All right, so no, um, we have no Twitter followers to mention this week, um, although I, I do understand we have some. We will have some for next week. I'm sorry they just didn't come down the pipe the right way, so I don't have them in the email box yet. Uh, so I apologize. We'll definitely have those announcements for you next week for our new Twitter followers, because I understand there's two or three. Um, but we do have an email to read. Uh, so real quick, if you would like to uh, follow us on Twitter, please do so by following us at the SLS cast. And here is the email. Comes to us from the long-lost Miranda. Our girl Miranda has finally returned to the fold um, and has sent us an email. She was catching up on all of our shows. Actually, she and I spent... Um, Jeez, 
probably close to an hour last week actually catching up with each other um and you know because i'd been catching up with uh i've been catching up with kitty uh over the past couple of months so we've been keeping in touch real well but i hadn't like i get this you know dm from her and she's like have we not talked for like six months i'm like oh my god it's been six months so yes we spent the better part of an hour catching up and all that good stuff so she was also catching up on the show and she says this Episode 215 DMV guy. Quote, he's a goddamn American hero. Best form of DMV revenge ever. Just my two cent tenses. <laughs> Love it. And Miranda. Thank you, Miranda. I appreciate it. Yes. Oh, this is the guy that paid with pennies at the DMV. Yes, the barrels. Ticket, right? and, yeah, the wear barrels of pennies. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. She's on my side, Tim. See, the public. We demand, we demand renegades. Well, it's only one person. (laughs) Fine, I'll give it to you. (laughs) Just so happens the one person that listens to our show signs with you. You won the majority. Oh, no. No, don't, 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 don't do that. Our girl Diana is going to be upset. (laughs) Well, I think we all know where Diana will land. She'll be too nice and, and give us both credit. But then ultimately land with me. Ah, ah, of course, of course. All right, so that is definitely the email there. And thank you so very much for that email again, Miranda. If you would like to send us an email, please do so uh, by sending one to the show at slscast.com. And so without further ado, how about we get right to the news, sir? Sounds good. Here we go, folks. It's the news. <laughs> And starting us off real quick here from this is, uh, right? Did I, am I reading this correctly? Yes. This is insider.com or the insider. Uh, let's see here. By way of Jason Garacio. Uh, I apologize if I got that wrong. Jason Garacio uh, of Business Insider. Jordan Peele plans to direct a whole series of horror movies about, quote, social demons, end quote. Yes, you heard it right. Jordan Peele is best known for his comedic work uh, long, alongside Keegan-Michael Key on their Comedy Central show, Key and Peele, and in their movie, Keanu. But his directorial debut, Get Out, will show the world that he's also really good at scaring us. And it's a mission he plans to continue for a while. Uh, let's see here. Um uh, Let's see. The, and, and then, of course, the article goes on to discuss Get Out, which we will be doing as well. And he, the article continues, but this is far from a one-and-done for Peel. He recently told Business Insider that Get Out is the first in a collection of social movies he wants to direct that examine what he calls, quote, social demons, end quote. Uh, quote, I have four other social thrillers I want to unveil in the next decade. The best and scariest monsters in the world are human beings, and what we are capable of, especially when we get together. I've been working on these premises about these different social demons, these innately human monsters that are woven into the fabric of how we think and how we interact. And each one of my movies is going to be about a different one of these social demons, end quote. Um, Now, 
There is not uh, much left to that article, so please feel free to jump in again, again at thisisinsider.com by way of Jason Gracio of Business Insider. Jordan Peele plans to direct a whole series of horror movies about social demons. Um, personally, I would love to know what you think about this, Tim. Personally, I do not necessarily think this is such a great idea. I don't mind, uh, I mean, and this is not because Get Out is a, is, isn't a good movie. I think it is a really good movie, and I think it's uh, got great, great messages behind it. Wonderful satire, um, and definitely some fun thrills as well. I I don't really find it to be a horror movie, um, but I don't necessarily think that it's a good idea for Peel to come out the gate and basically saying, I'm going to you know, M. Night Shyamalan this thing where they're going to be the same vein of movies. And even though clearly they'll have different plots, they're still going to be kind of in the same vein as Get Out because part of the fun of Get Out is that um, you're not necessarily knowing where it's where it's exactly trying to turn. But if you know going into the next four of these movies that he's just going to be like, it's the same kind of stuff, I feel like maybe he needs to do one that's a comedy maybe he needs to do one that's a drama maybe he needs to do one that's you know dramedy or or somehow blends a sci-fi you know just blends different genres if it's just going to be straight thrillers i don't necessarily know that i, I think it's going to become I, I think it risks becoming old hat and then they're not as effective what do you think well you know at least in my opinion Minus the overt social satire, he kind of reminds me a little bit, at least his direction writing style, kind of reminds me a bit of, of Edgar Wright with his like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and At World's End. They're, he's really good at making genre films, Edgar Wright is. But Edgar Wright, all of his film tackles a different story, a different genre, and Granted, some of it kind of falls along the lines of, of like the same themes in a way, like friendship, for example. They're different types of movies. Now, with Indeed. Peele, Jordan Peele, he's very talented. I've been a big fan of his with Key and Peele for the most... The first two seasons of Key and Peele were great, then it went downhill. Uh, the reason why it went downhill is because... They kept doing the same thing over and over again. They would radically, not necessarily make fun of, but play off these genres. And if you're specifically trying to play off a genre, or make fun of a genre, or do an ode to a specific genre, it's going to get tiring after a while, because you're going to keep repeating yourself. And with Get Out, he is all over the map with what is clearly his influence, or what influenced him. So if he keeps making horror movies, I would like to see something that is completely original. This movie is original, it's entertaining, in the same way as Edgar Wright's movies are entertaining, like Shaun of the Dead, very entertaining zombie movie. But I'd wonder if he made another zombie movie, would it be more Shaun of the Dead? So seeing how kind of broad he painted Get Out... I would just hope his next movie or next movies aren't as broad and a little bit more focused. So I just, it kind of depends. I mean, I kind of want to see what else he has up his sleeve. Right on, right on. Well, what do you got for us, sir, sir? First up from Variety.com. This here is written by Carmel Dagon. If you don't believe me, uh, his real name is Carmel Dagon, or her, her real name is Carmel Dagon. D-A-G-A-N, Dagan. 
Via Variety again, Robert Osborne, TCM host and film historian, dies at 84. And it says this, this is very sad. Film historian Robert Osborne, the effervescent primetime host of Turner Classic Movies since the Cablers' inception in 1994, has died. He was 84. TCM's general manager, Jennifer Dorian, released a statement saying, quote, All of us at Turner Classic Movies are deeply saddened by the death of Robert Osborne. Robert was a beloved member of the Turner family for more than 23 years. He joined us as an expert on classic film and grew to be our cherished colleague and esteemed ambassador for TCM. Robert was embraced by devoted fans who saw him as a trusted expert and friend. His calming presence, gentlemanly style, encyclopedic knowledge of film history, fervent support for film preservation, and highly personal interviewing style all combined to make him a truly world-class host. Robert's contributions were fundamental in shaping TCM into what it is today, and we owe him a debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. Our thoughts and prayers are with his family and friends at this time." End quote. Osborne lived in New York but shot his TCM appearances at the cable network's headquarters in Atlanta. As TCM's primary on-air personality, Osborne occupied something of a unique position in the history of television, where once it was common for channels to provide hosts for the movies they programmed. TCM is now the last U.S. movie network to regularly feature hosts who offer information about a film before it begins. Uh, end all quotes there. The article does go on for quite a bit more. Do check it out. Variety.com's Robert Osborne, TCM host and film historian, dies at 84. This is pretty sad. I know a lot of people who were actually affected by the news of his passing. I will always remember being younger and watching Turner Classic Movies and discovering what would turn out to be my most beloved movies. And before they would play and after they would play, it would be this man, Robert Osborne, who would tell me about these movies, give me these little tidbits about them that I absolutely adored. And some of the knowledge that I impart on this show came directly from Robert Osborne. So in many ways, he's affected me and my outlook on film and film history. He will be deeply missed, not only by me, but by other movie buffs and film historians as well. Luckily, we do have Ben Makowitz, who is the current TCM pre- and post-movie host. So, And he's really good, too. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but uh, Matt, are you familiar with Robert Osborne? Did you used to watch him on TCM? Well, as you know, being older than dust, um, I actually uh, remember when I had to make the transition from AMC to uh, TCM. And I was watching the original hosts from AMC because I loved watching that. I, I, my mom, <clears throat> it really instilled in me a love of classic cinema. All of my, my favorite black and white movie, classic movie to this day is Wuthering Heights with Lawrence Olivier and David Niven. Um, and, I watched that movie. The very first time I watched that movie was on AMC, you know, 30 something years ago and, or almost 30 years ago. And I also watched it in other ways and stuff. And 
I just loved watching those movies and listening to the history. I, of course, hey, I'm a history major, right? You know, Tim it was a history minor. So you get the love of movies and the love of history shared together. And I was so disappointed when AMC started drifting away from that. And then, of course, we got Turner Classic Movies. And boom, now I'm introduced to Robert Osborne. So I actually remember when that occurred and to see him come on the scene like that. And... It was just so nice to know that no matter where else you could go, if you needed your classic movie fix, you could see, even literally straight through to 2011, what he was there nonstop. And, uh, even as late as 2014, he was still doing, uh, weekend series and stuff, uh, with Alec Baldwin for the essentials that they would run on Saturday nights and everything like that. So it was, you you got to you could always get that fix you could always get your robert osborne fix and it was so great because it was just that continuing love of the history of cinema with great film uh and i was definitely sad when i saw that article uh yesterday or the day before i was just i it, it did it hit me pretty hard i was surprised at how hard it hit me um because not only was it a piece of my childhood it's it was a true piece of my cinematic life and it's it is sad to see that to see that go. And we all know that Turner Classic Movies is the better movie channel, classic movie channel. Oh yeah, nowadays absolutely, hands down. Because it hasn't because even they've they've been very very smart about how they've moved into the 21st century and the types of programming that they have, but the core of it is still the same great classic cinema with great discussion they, they've they not changed that and i think that's why i think that's why they've outlasted everybody else turner classic movies is just to me at least aesthetically pleasing and entertaining whenever they not not montages but like they're you know whenever they're like turner classic movies tonight late night movies and it's very like noir feeling and sounding they have the cool visuals and stuff like that i just it's it's an experience watching tcm and just robert osborne fit perfectly within all of that absolutely oh and as a bonus for anyone who's a disney file um the the great movie ride at uh Hollywood Studios in Walt Disney World got a refurbishment last year and TCM actually picked up the sponsorship. So now when you go to Hollywood Studios and you go on the the uh the great movie ride, there's actually a pre-show and a post-show along with the in-ride narration all done by Robert Osborne. Well, I now have another reason to go to Disney World next year. Avatar right. Land and now the TC Turner Classic Movies The Ride. Bro, Broheim, you can go do Avatar Land on May 27th. Hook it up, son. I got you, fam. Let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> well, this is my last piece of news real quick from Variety.com by way of Janko uh, Retgers, I believe. R-O-E-T-T-G-E-R-S, Retgers. Uh, two years after its unusual release, The Interview remains Google's most sold movie ever. 
Yes! The James Franco and Seth Rogen-helmed comedy has outsold blockbusters like Frozen, Deadpool, and Star Wars The Force Awakens on Google's digital media store, according to data released by Google. And that's despite the fact that, quote, the, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no quote. <laughs> that's despite the fact that the interview was also available on Netflix for close to two years as well. Um... And let's see here. It says here, Google released the data highlighting the interview's continued success as part of a larger list of the most popular content on Google Play, which was unveiled as a central location for apps, games, music, books, movies, and TV shows on March 6th of 2012. Convenient. It's March 6th of 2017. Um, so what do you think there, Tim? Is that surprising to you? A little bit, yeah. I would think it would it would have teetered away, you know, it would have died out like a year and uh, ten months ago. No shit. I mean, especially when you consider that it's literally up against like Frozen, Deadpool, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens, uh, movies that are just when you think about it, immensely more popular overall and longer lasting. In there, uh, you would think, wow, uh, you know. But, and it's been free yeah. on Netflix for well over a year. Yeah, that's like what, a year yeah, and a half two years. It was two it years. was on Netflix for two years, close to two years. So it's ridiculous, ridiculous. Anyways, thought y'all might want to know. That was kind of interesting to me. Thought y'all would like 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 to know that. So that is my news. Bring us home on the news, sir. <laughs> so stay tuned for interview part two, coming directly to Google. I don't know what other what other crazy leader could they go after in a sequel to the interview. Oh, um, Trump. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm sure there, I'm sure everybody in Hollywood would love for that to happen. Why not? All right, so I'm going to do my silly surprise piece of news first, and then finish it out with an actual, what I think is kind of like a little discussions piece regarding the upcoming live action Beauty and the Beast. But first up from io9.com, this here is written by Catherine Trindacosta. I'm not even going to read the title of this article. I'm just going to jump right into it. Star Wars is sexy. Sure. But I'd still question the logic of anyone who decides to have sex while listening to a band that specializes in what was once called, and I quote, jizz music, end quote. Our friends over at Gizmodo Australia recently shared the seemingly unbelievable news that Cantina Band, the bar tune from Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, is Spotify's top sex song in Australia. That means more people are getting it on to figuring Deanne and the model nodes, also known as John Williams, than Drake, Rihanna, and Marvin Gaye. I don't know if it's scarier to think that Aussies picked it on purpose, or ended up with a song while doing a search for jizz music. What most people know as the Cantina Band from A New Hope is more properly known as Figure and Dian in the modal nodes, the butt-headed aliens in all black are called Bith, and the old expanded universe named their musical genre as jizz music, because, you know, it's like jazz, but presumably messier. Uh, and the article does go on there, believe it or not. Uh, if you want a good laugh, do check out this io9.com article. Somehow Australia's favorite song to bump uglies to is Star Wars's Cantina Band, written by Catherine Trinacosta. So, uh, I, I, Matt, can you fathom doing the dirty to... Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do
And your wife being into it as well? No. <laughs> not not even a little bit. But we are talking about people who enjoy Vegemite. So I I don't put it past them. What is Vegemite? Oh, God. I think I heard about that on Isle of Lucy, right? All right. So, yeah, <laughs> Vitamata Vegemin. No. Uh, okay. So Vegemite to... To Australians, particularly, it is popular in other small locales in like South Africa and also in Europe a little bit, but it's primarily Australian and it is a like a bean curd uh, mash mixture of stuff with vitamins in it or something. I don't know. Um, and the idea is that they use it like peanut butter, like that, like we would use it on on breads and stuff like that that uh, they use it literally like peanut butter there uh, or maybe weirder people out there who like like nutella on their bread or something these people put vegemite on goddamn everything for the rest of the world um it's better known by its actual taste and texture which would be lard flavored axle grease it's disgusting um, it's just oh my god it's so bad so nasty, so incredibly terrible. Um, I would not wish it on my worst enemy. That's Vegemite. Mmm, sounds delish. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly here, another article from Variety.com, written by Mon Kachatorian, M-A-A-N-E, Kachatorian, right? K-H-A-T-C-H-A-T-O-U-R-I-A-N. Yikeroni. A variety again. Alabama theater cancels Beauty and the Beast screenings due to gay character. Yes, and it says this. Moviegoers at a drive-in theater in Alabama won't be able to see a retelling of the tale as old as time. The Henniger Drive-In Theater in DeKalb, County has canceled its screenings of Beauty and the Beast because the film will feature Disney's first openly gay character. Director Bill Condon recently told Attitude Magazine that Josh Gad's LeFou, villain Gaston's eccentric sidekick, will be Disney's first ever LGBTQ character, a way of honoring the original 1991 animated film's late lyricist Howard Ashman. Saying, quote, Josh Gad incidentally plays Gaston's worshipful stooge, LeFou, as maximally silly and fawning, but I must have missed the memo where that spells gay, end quote, Variety Chief Film Critic Owen Gleiberman wrote in his review. The announcement follows the Alabama theater's change in ownership. Quote, when companies continually force their views on us, we need to take a stand. We all make choices and I am making mine. End quote, a statement on the Northeast Alabama Theater's Facebook page read, quote, if we cannot take our 11-year-old granddaughter and 8-year-old grandson to see a movie, we have no business watching it. If I can't sit through a movie with God or Jesus sitting by me, then we have no business showing it. End quote. The company acknowledged that their actions may be controversial, but concluded, quote, that's fine. We are first and foremost Christians, end quote. The statement continues, quote, we will not compromise on what the Bible teaches. We will continue to show family-oriented films so you can feel free to come watch wholesome movies without worrying about sex, nudity, homosexuality, and foul language, 
And all quotes there, the article does go on for quite a bit more, and you can read the full statement from Henniger Drive-Ins. Uh, again, that was a Variety.com article. Something else I want to mention via life petitions. It's a stupid fucking petition that I came across. Somebody in my family posted it last Friday. But it's the sign the boycott, tell Disney no to LGBT agenda in Beauty and the Beast, hash quat, Jesus Christ, hashtag boycott Disney. Um, and as of right now, this stupid boycott has over 105,000 views. This is as of March 6th. 2017, and it is ridiculous. The background, really quick, I'm going to read this. Uh, The director of the much-anticipated Disney live-action version of Beauty and the Beast has proudly revealed that the movie will feature Disney's first-ever exclusively gay moment. The gay moment involves character LeFou, the sidekick of villain Gaston, played by actor Josh Gad. And here they quote Bill Condon, saying, quote, LeFou is somebody who one day wants to be Gaston and on another day wants to kiss Gaston. He's confused about what he wants. It's somebody who's just realizing that he has these feelings. And Josh makes something really subtle and delicious out of it. And that's what has its payoff at the end, which I don't want to give away, but it's a nice, exclusively gay moment in a Disney movie, end quote. And uh, then this, the background here, this person ends this whole spiel with, with the highly public announcement that Beauty and the Beast will include an explicitly gay moment, Disney appears to have caved to this pressure uh, and send a strong message to Disney that children's entertainment is no place to promote a harmful sexual political agenda. Sign the boycott petition. And considering what most kids watch on Disney uh, now... I tell these people to fuck the hell off because the character of LeFou in the original Disney movie from the early 90s is awfully flamboyant. And I remember as a kid wondering, why is this guy so enamored with this Gaston dude? He's kind of a douche, but he's physically attractive. Matt, what do you think about all this? Do you think people have a reason to feel so appalled by the inclusion of a LGBTQ-friendly character? I think they're not realizing that he's not going to be, like, taken off his clothes and, like, face-fucking Gaston or anything like that. I mean, it's it's more subtle. It's more subtle. Like, these people don't understand that. What do you think? Okay. This is a very, very uh, complex issue. I Okay, it's it's... Um, I personally don't give a flying fuck. I mean, seriously, it's like, it's been explained already. This is not going to be some huge thing, but you have the, you have the people who, I mean, on a strictly technically speaking level are correct of, you know, uh, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single footstep, right? You drop the stone in the pond and the ripples go across the, okay. Yes. So, you know, this is that drop in the bucket or whatever. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think you have to make, I think we have to make a realization that despite what you think about the origins of, um, any difference from heterosexuality, um, it, it is there. It is real. It exists and it represents, it, uh, realistically in the neighborhood of about 12% of the population. Um, and depending on who you want to talk to and people who might be closeted and not come out and whatever else, it could be greatly more than that. Um, but uh, from what I have been able to read, you know, that's still, you know, 12%, uh, you know, that's 12 out of a hundred people. Um, which means if you've got 
you know, a 500 seat auditorium, congratulations, 60 of the people in there are more than likely gay um, or LGBTQ, what have you. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging that. It's, it, there's just nothing wrong with acknowledging that. And if this is the problem that you have with Disney after they have, um, is it, is, do they, I can't remember in the, in the parks, they have, is it gay days or, or queer days? They have something that is literally designed just for, uh, LGBTQ that, 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 that come in for the parks and it's totally done for the, the, you know, and it's big, it's huge, they have celebrations, all that kind of stuff. And LeFou is the, is the, you know, is your line in the sand? Seriously? I think you kind of missed the boat. Um, you know, and without getting, way too far off the subject i mean uh, stephen colbert for whatever you like or love or dislike um said something on his on his old show colbert report uh several years ago that is is true and i've taken it to heart pretty well despite it being comedy he says i would love to tell you what jesus said about homosexuality it's just he didn't say anything and it's true it's true People, if you read the Bible, if you believe in the Bible, if you love the Bible, there's only two things you got to do. If that's what you want, if you have faith and you believe in these things, you accept Christ into your heart as the Lord of your life and everything else, and you love your neighbor as you would love yourself. That's it. That's all you got to do. Everything else takes care of itself. Guys, it's, oh my God, please. It's a two-second moment in a movie. If you don't like Disney anymore, that's fine. But I think you're really fucking stupid. And all you 105,000 people who are out there, I don't know if it's 105,000 views means that, that they signed it or it's just been viewed 105,000 times. But It's the total number of signatures. Okay, so it was 105,000 signatures. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought you had said views or something. So, so 105,000 people out there, you know, guys, you're, you're, not, you're not helping your case anymore. You know, you're not helping your case. You're, you, you, if nothing else, if you believe that your way is the right way, then live by example. Okay. And that's all I got to say about it. In, I'll, uh, I'll be watching the movie. I'm sorry. Let me, let me end by saying, I'll be at the movie theater with my daughters who are nine, seven, actually almost seven and five. That's, that's, that's where I'll be. Okay. So. And we should get their reviews for this movie and ask them if they thought anything was inappropriate or weird. <laughs> there you have it. That's my news. Right on. Okay. Well, we definitely kind of took a definitely went way sideways on that last piece. Um, so <laughs> reaffirming religion with Matt and Tim. No, seriously though. I mean, it is kind of it does kind of piss me off that. It, it, it just, it really irritates me. I understand where both sides are coming from. That's what irritates me is I get where both sides of this argument are coming from. It's just people get so blinded by the fact that, that each side thinks that the other side's out to get them that both sides now subscribe to the theory that two wrongs make a right. And, you know, it just, it just irritates me. It really and truly does. I can't, you know, uh, anyway. All right. Sorry. And w one last thing that I do want to say is you, you kind of touched this with throw the stone, make a ripple, and it'll get bigger as it goes type of deal. We're making strides with various themes in films that we didn't even see five years ago. Uh, take a look at Moonlight. Moonlight tackled race. It tackled sexuality. 
you know, and so it's kind of refreshing seeing Disney doing something different. That's not the same routine over the same characters we see over and over again. If I see another talking goddamn horse or goddamn horse with a fucking personality, I might actually shoot myself. So at least this is something a, a, a little bit different. And I like change. If it's, you know, and, and, and so far everything is done super tastefully and it's very human. And so I like it. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie. So you're not looking forward to the Mr. Ed remake then? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's go on over to our bonus segment. We're finally bringing them back, folks. Here it is. We've got the bonus segment, which is... Thirty Squared. All right, and this time on Three Squared, we have got part two of our favorite opening scenes. Yes, now we were trying to pick movies that it's not just about the way the movie opens. And by the way, so we went back and listened to the show and everything to make sure we had everything right. Um, my picks for our favorite opening movie scenes last time, uh, my picks were The Last of the Mohicans, The Patriot, and Kill Bill Volume 1. Tim's picks were Drive, The Matrix, and There Will Be Blood. He also had a bonus pick of Children of Men. Uh, and let's see here. So... Those have great opening scenes, and, and they're definitely great openings that, you know, really punch up the movie and everything. We kind of focused in this part, in part two of our potentially continuing series on favorite opening scenes, um, really like the first 10 minutes or less, okay? Um, and really tried to keep it into that, you know, eight to ten minute window of boom, this is how the movie begins. And, uh, I think you will like what we have to say. So my first pick from 2009 would be Star Trek. Yes. Uh, some people might call it like Star Trek 10 or 11 or whatever the hell, but basically it's just Star Trek. Uh, and then, you know, 2009. And this is the one where they introduce Kelvin, right? There, It's the new Kelvin timeline and everything that they do. But the way that they do it is they spend the first eight minutes of the film explaining where, uh, you know, how Jim Kirk is born in space instead of being born in Iowa like he's supposed to be. And, I mean, it's just such a fantastic opening. It's so absolutely well done. And, I mean, you have... uh Oh gosh, Thor, right? What's his um do 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 Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth, thank you. Yeah. Yes, good lord. Uh Chris Hemsworth, who's playing Kirk's dad. I mean, it's just one of the these perfect little moments that are punctuated and just show not only what made Star Trek great, but what made what gave the potential for Kirk to be great. Um, it was just so fantastic to watch that opening scene and the way it just bumps out and, you know, you, you have these people barely making their escape and how Kirk's dad, you know, sacrifices the whole ship. And when Bruce Greenwood's character of, uh, Captain Pike comes in and he's like, you know, your dad was a starship captain for eight minutes. 
I dare you to do better. I mean, and then it just harkens back to that opening scene, and you're just like, oh, chills. That's what makes this scene, oh, this opening scene great for me. Um, next one up for me, and these are in no particular order, by the way, um, is probably one of my favorite just, you know, general opening scenes of all time. And the reason why is I hate this movie. This movie is terrible. Uh, but it's 2000's The Way of the Gun. It is a crime thriller film. It's directed by Christopher McQuarrie. And it stars uh, Ryan Felipe and Benicio Del Toro. Now... This uh, basically is a movie about two gun runners who uh, decide to um, really step up their game, their, their criminal game, as it were. And they're trying to, you know, um, make the score of a lifetime and everything that goes however that goes. But the but to just give you the to set the stage of what these guys are like, they give you the first, you know, five minutes of the movie or whatever. And basically, it's just them sitting outside of, you know, a glorified biker bar uh, on somebody's car. And they're just sitting on the hood of the car. <laughs> they inadvertently set off the car alarm. And the girlfriend of the guy whose car it is just starts talking some shit. And they come up... Um, they, they, they Literally, the best line I've ever heard in, you know, as a comeback comes out of Ryan Felipe's character's mouth, uh, who's par- who plays Parker. And this bitch is just going, get the fuck off the car, blah, 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 just, blah, just totally tearing into him, you know? And he just says, yo, shut that cunt's mouth up before I fuck start her head. <laughs> I mean, and then, and then the dude has to come over and defend her honor. <laughs> so, and so he says probably the stupidest line I've ever heard in an opening, which is, you ready to do the man dance? <laughs> this opening scene, which is, if you don't want to waste your time on it, I'm sure you can find it online, YouTube it or something. Um, I mean, it really made me want to watch this movie. I was so excited for this movie. And I was so ultimately let down by this movie. But... It is definitely still one of my favorite movie openings ever. Uh, last but not least comes to us from 1995's Desperado. Uh, this one, of course, is basically what put Robert Rodriguez on the map. He's the one who directed it and also brought Antonio Banderas and Selma Hayek to everybody's brain uh, back in 1995. And the opening of this movie st- sees uh, Antonio Banderas' buddy, uh, played by Steve Buscemi, basically telling the story of uh, the Mariachi, El Mariachi, um, to everybody at, in, in this bar. And it's mainly just kind of to get a rise out of the people in the bar, um, for reasons explained later in the film. But it's also done as exposition to help you understand what this movie is really about. And it's fantastic. It's so well executed on so many levels that it makes you appreciate Robert Rodriguez. It makes you appreciate Steve Buscemi all the more. And it also just sets you up for one fucking hell of a thrill ride. Um, and it's just, it's great. It's a great opening scene. So my picks again are, uh, 2009 Star Trek, 2000's The Way of the Gun, and 1995's Desperado. What do you got there, Tim? Okie doke. 
First up for me from last year, <laughs> I'm going way back in the SLS archives, the SLS cast archives for this one, Matt, from 2016, a little movie we may or may not have talked about to death, Hell or High Water, directed by David McKenzie, the opening 10-11 minutes of this movie is absolutely wonderful. Uh, this, of course, is the movie about the two brothers played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster. They're the two bank-robbing brothers who are basically robbing enough uh, small-town banks to fund their retirement for the most part. But as we all know, one brother is actually working for the retirement while the other one just blindly likes to spend all his money. But at the beginning of this movie, that is excellently shot by Giles Nutgens, he was a cinematographer, and wonderfully edited by Jake Roberts, as well as directed by Dave McKenzie. The opening is, is phenomenal. Right off the bat, you have excellent pace in suspense. It's beautifully shot, and you get a taste of what's in store with these characters, and it does a beautiful job at setting up that western grit and that western tone. The entire opening is just about them robbing a series of banks one early morning, like around eight or nine o'clock in the morning, and you get an idea how not necessarily brutal they are. Well, one brother, played by Ben Foster, is the brutal one. And seeing how brutal he can be, you get a taste of of how these characters interact. Which one the audience has to be fearful of and fearful for. Which ultimately pays off at the end of the movie. And also, the character progression of Chris Pine's character, uh, seeing how he is at the beginning of the movie and, and comparing it to the end of the movie, is absolutely wonderful, especially during repeat viewings. But the opening of this movie, again, they're in their car, they're robbing the banks, it's the camera movements, it's the editing, just wonderful use of editing. Next up for me, Train Spotting from 1996. This here, of course, is directed by Danny Boyle, shot by Brian Tufano, and edited by Masahiro Hirakubo. And I really do hope the cinematographer and the editor are back for Train Spotting 2, which I hear is absolutely wonderful. We'll be reviewing that one here in a couple weeks. So I guess in honor of, of T2 Train Spotting, I chose Train Spotting 1. And it's definitely. An opening that I've never seen before. At least at the time when I first watched this in the early 2000s. It was the first of its kind. I've never seen a movie that opened so mad. You know, it was very sporadic, the editing was. It's very unique. Very unique way of introducing these characters and their personalities. So, like, you see a glimpse of who and what these characters are. And their name, They you know, they freeze frame and, and their names pop up. And during all of this, which I, I don't think it's quite 10 minutes, maybe about five or six or seven minutes or so, you have Iggy Pop's lust for life just blaring in the background. So it adds this sense of fun, like what these characters are up to is madcap fun. And of course, over the song Lust for Life and over all these sporadic edits and these introductions of characters, you have the narration of Ewan McGregor. And Ewan McGregor, of course, plays Mark Rentboy Renton. And with very few words, 
you're transported to these characters' world. For those of you who do not know, who are unfamiliar with Train Spotting, is it's a movie about these groups of people. Um, for the most part, they're all friends who are trying to kick their heroin addiction in London, somewhere in London or or Scotland. I guess it's Scotland. And the main character, of course, is Ewan McGregor, Mark Renton, and uh, he's having a difficult time kicking. Ultimately, the first half of the movie is the sporadic funness until you see the effects of heroin on certain members of their group. So, again, train spotting, my number two pick, absolutely brilliant opening moments of any piece of fun, character driven cinema. And lastly, for me, my number three pick is from 1963. And it is Stanley Kramer's comedy road movie adventure classic. It's a mad, 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 mad world. I think that was four mads, right? It's a mad, 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 mad world. There you go. Uh, Again, it's directed by Stanley Kramer. Cinematography done by Ernest Laszlo and edited by Frederick Nutston, Robert C. Jones, and Gene Flower Jr., Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with It's a Mad, 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 Mad World or who have not actually caught me talking about it one of 20 million times on this show, do yourself a favor and go and watch it. It's over three hours long, but it is most definitely worth your time. It's the madcap, crazy, uh, not necessarily caper, but crazy comedy road movie featuring an all-star cast of Spencer Tracy... Milton Berle, Sid Caesar, Buddy Hackett, Ethel Merman, uh, Mickey Rooney, Dick Sean is in it, Phil Silvers, Terry Thomas, and Jonathan Winters, among many others, of course. And basically, they're just a group of people from all different walks of life uh, who are on various either family vacations, work trips, travel time with a buddy or a loved one, and they all witness a horrific car crash. And the person driving that car was Smiler Grogan, who played by wonderfully by Jimmy Durant. It's a very tiny, tiny part. His car just careens. It goes sailing right out there, right, right off a cliff. Horrible car wreck. And there lies Jimmy Durant on this rock. And of course, all of these, all of the passerbys, this motorcade of vacationers who witness this horrible car wreck get out of their cars and all the men go down to his aid. And as he's lying there on that rock, talking about how his car just went sailing right out there, he keeps mentioning this big W. Big W in Santa Rosita in this park in Santa Rosita. And under under that big W there's this there's this load of cash. And that sets the movie in motion. And it's absolutely wonderful. It's madcap, crazy fun. You guys, you gotta watch this movie. And the opening ten minutes is wonderful. You go from this guy's car just careening off the side of this cliff to this cadre of of celebrities going down to his aid, to hearing about all of this buried cash. And then they all go up like civilized folk. They try to reason with one another, you know, and and, and try to decide, you know, let's let's all carpool down together. Let's, Let's caravan down safely, calmly, and we'll just split it. And then they get in this big argument of, 
of the splitting ratio. You know, so-and-so's getting too much because they're one person and so-and-so's getting too little because there's three people in the car. They can never get it right until they basically say, fuck you to human civility. And it's just a balls to the wall race. And this is all within the first 10 minutes of the actual movie, not including the eight minute freaking uh, opening credits. But you know, all this stuff happens within the first 10 minutes and it's absolutely wonderful. Do yourself a favor and check it out. It's one of Stanley Kramer's best movies. It's a mad, 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 mad world from 1963. So my three movies were that one, Hell or High Water from last year, and then finally Train Spotting from 1996. Right on, right on. Okay, well, next week we're going to be doing a discussions piece for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Houston Press article, La La Land is a Propaganda Film. So we're going to read that editorial and then have a discussion about it. So if you'd like to check that out, you can, of course, go to HoustonPress.com slash film and then look up for La La Land is a Propaganda Film. And without further ado, it will now be time for The Movies! And this week's movies are, of course, Get Out and Logan. Uh, where do you want to start first, sir? How about Logan? All right, Logan, 2017 American superhero film, uh, basically uh, the final Wolverine film, as it were. Uh, it's directed by James Mangold, stars Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, Richard E. Grant, Boyd Holbrook, Stephen Merchant, and Daphne Keene. Um, all right. So basically what we have here is Logan. Uh, it's basically kind of doing their own version, bastardized version of the old man Logan storyline. Um, mutants are dying out. <clears throat> and um, we've got Professor X who's starting to get addled. And um, Logan who doesn't understand why he's falling apart as well. Although he might think it's part blessing as well as part curse uh when he is uh inadvertently saddled with a young child that he must help um this movie is oh my god amazing just fucking amazing you there's really not a whole lot to say about this film uh other than the only thing that kind of um, bothered me about it was Stephen Merchant. I had some trouble buying into him as Caliban, um, mainly because he seemed more like a plot device than a real character. Um, he does a fantastic job. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and it's not that, you know, it breaks the movie or anything like that, but I really felt in terms of characters and understanding what their, what their purpose is in the movie, um, beyond you know point a point b you know character a character b i mean to understand their role in the story itself uh, i really felt like he was just more of a plot device than a real character um so 4.75 out of 5 um get ready for i mean the reason why uh low to mid budget r rated superhero movies are probably the way of the future um Excellent acting, excellent storytelling, um, good, solid action, bring your Kleenex, 
And there you go. 4.75 out of 5. What do you got there, Tim? I absolutely agree with you on what you said about Stephen Merchant's character. That nailed it on the head. I'm hoping there's some, like, there's, like, an extended cut or some good deleted scenes featuring more of him actually figuring out where Logan is hiding throughout the movie. What did this movie for me was its tone, how reserved it is. There's nothing major about it, like the locations. It doesn't take place in any huge, grandiose cities or anything like that. They're on like a country road for the most part, and the action is very reserved, uh, as well as the story. Unlike other big superhero movies, because this action is reserved, I don't get tired of it, or I didn't get tired of it. And I was able to accept you know, uh, some of the limited choreography and most of the violence, for example. It was more effective because it was reserved. But these are some of my big complaints about the movie. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should. As in, because this movie is rated R and you can have gratuitous violence and say fuck doesn't mean you should do it. It's cool that they have it at some moments, but whenever they said fuck during the first half of the movie, it seemed like they said it way too much and way too often. So it sounded like they were doing it just to say it. And some of the violence, though it was kind of cool to see him kicking ass, it was just a little too much at times. And it felt like they could have done, I I, I don't know, something else with, with some of that. I did find it very interesting that the reason why Logan is the way he is or who he is and and why he does the things that he does, you get to see why in this movie. Because with all the blood and the violence, he has been used to seeing that and inflicting that pain for many, many years. And if that's your way of fighting and getting rid of people, that's going to turn you into a hard human being. But despite its faults, it's still a good movie. Because for a non-superhero movie, it helps itself. I care for these characters, and I wanted them to succeed. There was real emotion there which is severely lacking in other Marvel and DC movies. And despite its faults, despite its story elements, like the random country family that him and Logan and the young girl stay with, and the hero moment from the country husband there with the car, minus things like that in the, in the, in the lost children in the woods, like how did they get there? Why, do they, why are they more talky than the young girl? You know, just all this other stuff. I still give this movie four point. Two five out of five. It's still very entertaining, and if you are a diehard Wolverine Logan fan, you will definitely love Logan. So four point two five out of five for me. All right, and then the last film, of course, is Get Out, twenty seventeen American horror thriller film, written, produced, and directed by Jordan Peele. Uh, this, of course, again, is his directorial debut. Film stars Daniel Kuluwa. Uh, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Caleb Landry-Jones, Stephen Root, Lakeith Stanford, and Catherine Keener. All right, so basically what we have here is Chris and Rose. Um, Chris, of course, is black. Rose is his white girlfriend. They are off to see her family for the weekend. Uh, and things just get fucking weird. But speaking of movie openings, the movie literally opens... With a white race car. I thought that was just so fucking clever. It's a white race car. <laughs> the satire in this movie is fucking brilliant, folks. Um, 
the the what this movie excels at is actually showing in satire form um racism from a very very acute yet peculiar angle and that is the traditional what you would think of as the traditional liberal white guilt angle okay um this has nothing to do and again it's not trying to single out any group or make any you know but it is trying to show um how insidious uh racism can actually be even by people who truly would not think it that way um and i think the best characterization of that is actually stephen root's character uh he actually plays jim hudson who is a gallery owner who is blind and of course he and chris get to talking about some things in the middle uh in the middle of the movie and uh these things of course parlay themselves into the end but one of the things that stephen root's character says uh, uh jim hudson is like oh, i don't care about all that racial shit and everything and he doesn't. You actually are seeing what the most important thing, probably the most important message of this movie is. There really are people out there who aren't racists. They don't care about race. They don't care about racism or color of skin or, uh, you know, any of that. Literally, that doesn't bother them. But they're rich and they have no soul because they can literally do whatever they want with their money. And if their money funds something else that is evil, regardless of whether or not it's a they don't care as long as it suits their interests. And it's, it's just one of the many, 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 many awesome layers to this film that Jordan Peele has expertly crafted which is again why i was so kind of worried that if they're just gonna all be like this then they won't all be so surprising and they won't all be able to you know get your attention the way they should um but the one thing that i didn't like about the movie uh and i was a little harder on this one than i was in logan is that um instead of having just one character that kind of feels out of place i feel like there are several characters and some of them not main characters um, by any stretch of imagination, but some are there to help the satire, some are there to help the story, and some are there um, just as red herrings. But instead of them actually being uh, good red herrings that are that you're like, oh wow, I totally didn't say that. They're just kind of you're just kind of going, eh, this it's weird and it feels out of place and and it's like it translates almost as to trying too hard to make it seem like a horror movie or trying too hard to make it seem like a thriller. So um all in all, four point five out of five, fantastic movie. You gotta check it out. It's really, really good, and I'm so glad that we did. 4.5 out of 5. Bring us home there, Tim. What do you got? I think I would have liked to have seen this movie without watching the trailer because I expected too much from the film. I expected it to be different and more surprising. The trailer gives away way too much. The mystery has already been unraveled along with its key points. The movie is, however, better than expected than the trailer. Which I'm surprised the trailer did not turn more people away. 
Key and Peele heavily played with genre tropes and genre styles and etc. in their TV show. And unlike the first movie that the two of them appeared in, in starring roles, was Keanu, unlike Keanu, this film plays on social commentary, plays on smart social commentary, while keeping the various horror genre references on the nose. And really, that's congrats to Jordan Peele and this film. However, there are some major problems I had with the movie. For example, what's the logic behind the people? Like, why do they want black bodies based on their physicality? The movie has fun and doesn't play it safe, but makes this misstep of overestimating itself. And the ending. The ending escape did not sit well with me. It seemed like a quick resolution than a thought-out resolution. And then my third problem with the movie is that it can be too smart, which makes multiple situations and instances cliched and expected. Yeah, so that's what I thought about Get Out. It's a very interesting movie. It's a very interesting uh, movie that plays around with various genres. And for the most part, it's done well and it's done effectively. I would have liked to have seen him kind of hone in on a handful of aspects that he was kind of playing around with or having fun with. For example, spoiler alert, there's like an operating scene where they have like these sconces, gothic looking sconces with candles. And it's very, again, like just very gothic feeling. Well, why not play that up more? Because otherwise it just kind of seemed like, well, there's just these gothic candles in these gothic sconces and the entire room is looked like it was trying to be lit by those sconces just why not play up like kind of like the cultish atmosphere and feeling just a little bit more and i don't have time to really go into it in more detail but there's a lot of that type of stuff throughout the movie but it doesn't hurt the movie all too bad but that mixed in with some of the other problems i had does make this movie a 3.75 out of 5. Granted, I had a pretty interesting audience during this movie. They were very talkative, and I missed some things, and I was distracted by some of the comments that were made during the movie. So it warrants a second watch. But as of right now, 3.75 out of 5, get out. Interesting. Interesting. I have to say, because um, I had literally been making sure... You know me, I don't watch trailers if I can at all avoid it. So when I saw the movie on the list, I literally had forgotten about it. Uh, and I was like, get out. get!" And I looked it up. I was like, oh, yeah, it's the Jordan Peele movie. And then I went and saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have so, not seen the trailer for it? No, not not one trailer. Had not seen one trailer for it. So, I so guess okay, so how about this? For, for next week's show, let's incorporate this somehow into the show. And let's have a mini discussion about what you thought. Of that trailer. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll go watch the trailer. That's fine. Cool. So, anyways, yes. And speaking of trailers, I was at Logan and saw the trailer for Kong Skull Island, um, which we will be watching next week. And very sad to say, I don't want to see that movie. There's literally no reason to see that movie. If you've seen the trailer, you've seen the movie. But um, looks like it will 
be watching it anyway. So we have Kong Skull Island, Kong Skull Island next week. We have a United Kingdom and then The Salesman. Yes, we didn't get a chance to watch that before now. Um, and that was the best picture winner for uh, best foreign film from the Oscars. So we'll be covering that there. And those are the movies for next week. And so I believe it is time for the spiel. Is it not, sir? Spiel on. All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast, and you can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLSCast. You can also follow me, this is Matt on Twitter, by going to at nitwit12345. You can, of course, climb aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter, if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as catch us on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Stephen Merchant, I get to say this. I've always been a fan of physical comedy. It kind of hits you in a different way. It bypasses the intellect and hits you in the gut. Take care, cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>